Blog Talk Radio. Real, real, real good time. 
my girls and I, I think your boys also enjoyed the uh, the marshmallow. That's always a big hit. Cam lets them get out there at the fire pit with the marshmallows. So it was a it was a good time. We had a real good time. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I'm glad, was, glad we I'll, were able to do that. I was definitely happy to meet you all around, and we put pictures up on all of the uh, social media for the show, so everybody got to see it already. But at least had to talk about it um, since we hadn't got to talk about it in the past couple of weeks. Because um, you were yeah. up last week, you're the next week. But I know y'all in a hurry. One thing that did happen right after we talked last week, where you were at the game getting ready, uh, I think a few minutes before I got off the air, former Kentucky coach Billy Gillespie retired, and that's a name that will always be on you know the minds of people who are old enough to remember his time at UK. Uh, kind of sad to see that he's retired for health reasons, and we know it didn't go as planned while he was here. But you know, it was just a, a rocky time. But hate to see that he had to retire uh, for health reasons, high blood pressure, and, and medical reasons, uh, forcing him to kind of call it a career earlier than he wanted to. Yeah, with Gillespie, it is it, fair to say his two years at Kentucky did not go according to plan. It's, it's a situation where, touched on this before, if you want to coach basketball and that's it, Kentucky's not the job for you. There, there's more to it. You, there's, there's media commitments. There's other things that you have to do, and, and he was not comfortable doing that. And this is not a knock on him as a person. It's just these, these big jobs just aren't for everybody. And I think we saw that with uh, Billy G. And, and the pressure he was on on the two uh, with the two years he was here, um, so you hate to hear that he's stepping down and, and moving on, uh, but he's got to do what's best for him and his family. And if it's health reasons, he's got to address that and and, and make that his focus. You know, basketball is just a game, but life is life. Exactly, exactly. So definitely, just you know. Yeah. Didn't get to mention it last week, and of course, our show centers on UK, and he was there, and we always have talked about him before, so at least acknowledge the fact he's retired, and we do hope he does get healthy. That's his goal, uh, to get real healthy and enjoy his retirement, uh, is what he was saying in, in the story last week. So we kind of backtracked, but it was worth backtracking to mention that. Um, in terms of stuff to talk about, the latest is once again coming from your hometown. Uh, Lamar Jackson <laughs> went to Heisman. You wrote about that. Got the unfortunate incident with little players who were shot at a party celebrating that. And then we hear the news of Wake Forest radio guy who was formerly an assistant coach, Tommy O'Rod, giving plays and leaking information to Louisville. And it turns out that Petrino and Louisville coaches and all of them are kind of aware of it. The first story I saw yesterday looked like just the Wake Forest guy was just trying to do this. Then it kind of turned on, you know, Louisville's getting looked at sideways for their involvement in it. Wake Forest is using that Tim Donaghy, one rogue individual kind of language. So it's just one <laughs> big mess that happened today uh, as they get ready for their bowl game. And I know you're all over it because it's, I mean, it happened right there in the field. Well, it's been, it's been, 
you have to go back to, and this is going to make Mama Brown proud. I'm going to get a little literary for folks. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. Uh, you go from Lamar Jackson winning the Heisman Trophy, and deservedly so. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I know he stumbled a little bit against Kentucky, but from start to finish, he was the best player. He deserved to win it. Uh, he looked good. And, you know, I, I don't know if you saw on social media somebody talking about his $89 jacket and his response. And I think most people are saying he's a college kid. We would have all kinds of questions if he was in a $200,000 Versace suit. A lot of red flags uh-huh. would go up with that. Uh, yeah. His speech, I, I thought, was good. It was from the heart. And uh, I know this made moms all around the world happy. You know, he said he's going to give the trophy to his mother. That's where the Heisman's going to be. So so you have to root for a kid like that. But with the Wake Forest situation, um, it's it's head-scratching. And my thing is we're just at the tip of this iceberg. As you said, it went from yesterday, just one lone Wake Forest, uh, former coach, current uh, radio guy, providing plays, and now U of L athletic director Tom Jurich has admitted receipt of the plays, admitted that the information was forwarded on to U of L coaches uh, for review. That that's pretty that's pretty damning information. And what's got a lot of people concerned is just the idea of so what? Well, no, this is this this is this is a big deal. Like I said, we're just at the tip of the iceberg, and this is just another in a long list of, of issues that have even the most diehard U of L folks kind of shaking their head about what what's going on. We we know about Patino's issues and bringing Petrino back and having. Uh, escorts in the dorm rooms and, and this is just another one of these things where I think on their own you can kind of explain them away but but you're starting to see a pattern of just you know I have to quote my dad on this one you know some some folks won't do right even if only if right was the only thing they could do they would find a way to 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 do the wrong thing and I've seen a lot of U of L folks, but you know, my good friend Ralph is a U of L guy. And his thing is you have to understand kind of how the program at U of L is viewed to outsiders. And that should force you. If you're a coach, if you're a player to go that extra step toward not being involved in something like this. So as more information comes out, Again, I don't think it's necessarily a, a big thing. I, I think this kind of maybe not your radio guy passing plays back and forth, but I think there's there's some intel, there's some gamesmanship back and forth uh, between coaches. Uh, but this is just another thing to make you scratch your head and say you, you didn't have to cheat to beat Wake Forest. You know, uh, it's like the argument when you look at Barry Bonds and Mark McGuire and those guys. You were already great. Why get the edge? of using performance enhancers. It's just it's head-scratching at this point and, and not necessary. So a best-of-times, worst-of-times week for uh, for U of L right now. Yeah, and I, I see a tweet from from Dan Wilkins, uh, I think the USA Today, 
uh, says, you know, Tom Jerry, you, you can't get indignant at the media about the media attention you're getting during your, you know, your bowl preparation when you admit that your staff, you know, cheated or, you know, kind of had this underhanded stuff going on with Rick Forrest. Um, and then, of course, well, and, says that Mommy Galloway and, you know, the former Wake Forest guy have known each other, Tommy Elrod, known each other since 2007. Elrod calls Duvall. Uh His one's funny to me. Any other information that may have been discussed, because it says, you know, none of the special plays that Wake Forest didn't run during the Louisville game. It says our defense regularly prepares for similar formations every week in their normal game plan. It makes it sound like, you know, you can get all this. Just watching film on them. We 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 see all this all the time. Any other information that was discussed was nothing that our staff had not already seen while studying Wake Forest in preparation for the game, and the material was not given any further attention. I'm disappointed this issue has you know brought undue attention to our staff as we prepare for the bowl game. Yeah, this is Jerry talking about this is undue attention while preparing for the bowl game. Then what's the point of doing it? If you're going to act like it's so not a big deal, then why do it? And how the world is Petrino going to not know? You can you can have a coach not know maybe what everything a player is doing, but all coaches do is coach. You know, they hold up and, and focus on coaches. And to say you don't know about this is a little hard to believe. Well, it, yes, and, and, and coaches are notorious for – for micromanaging and knowing what their coaches are doing. My whole thing is, and I talked to Ralph a little bit about this, is you have to understand when you take Bobby Petrino back, you're you're going to draw the ire of everybody. You know, he's not well-liked. He's, he's bringing that baggage. And so the mention of his name involved in the scandal is going to be a red flag. The same way as Kentucky fans with Cal, you know, we know – uh, the vacated Final Fours at UMass and Memphis, so we we knew kind of what we were what we were getting, and what we have seen is a lot of the articles written, you know what's wrong with college basketball, the bad stuff with college basketball. If it doesn't mention Cal, you know there's a picture, there's a there's a hint of it, but but that comes with it. So bringing in Petrino, holding on Patino with all these kind of moral failings, if you you're going to get that negative. Uh, publicity, if you will. So that's one of those things you just kind of have to you have to deal with. Uh, right now, UVL is kind of viewed as a as a rogue program. Uh, you know, right now I could give you a story about UVL in, in athletics in any kind of context, and you might not believe it, but you might say, "Okay, that's possible. That's possible. That that that's something that could happen." And that's you don't you don't want that to, to be the stain of your athletic department. Look, you and I talked about this before. When you root for a college sports team, you're, you're one 18-year-old bad decision away from being in trouble with the NCAA. You're one coach doing something wrong uh, of being on the front page. We, we get that. But by the same token, you can't foster an environment where nothing really happens all these issues and nobody's really paid a price. Uh, and I think Jurich being flippant today really kind of, kind of uh, rubs people the wrong way. So tip of the iceberg, we'll see what happens. Uh, I've got to run. I've got to get 
and, and cheer on uh, Big Miss while she – I don't know if she has a solo, but I know she probably deserves one because she's fantastic. So uh, thanks for letting me join in, Vinny. Let everybody know that next week I'll be at the Yum Center uh, for the, the men's basketball game, Louisville, Kentucky, so I will call in from there as well. Absolutely. That's it. You're on a run of covering games and calling in live from venues. So, hey, it's, it's cool. <laughs> put, put the new uh, twist to the show. Y'all have a good I'm all time. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. You know, the rough <laughs> last week, at the upset of next week, hey, we can't tell you nothing, TV. <laughs> all right, Vinny, everybody have a good night. All right, y'all too. Hope Big Miss has a good show. TV calling in before he goes to his oldest daughter's violin recital. So hope Miss Sarah has a good show. With that, we'll take us a quick break. Uh, may finish up a little bit more UFL talk as well as UK talk. Big game against North Carolina Saturday. Uh, tons of stuff to get to, and we're going to try our best to get to it as much as we possibly can. You listen to Cat Talk Wednesday, Vinny Hardy, Brandon Hardy Radio Network, blogtalkradio.com. Stay right with us. We will be right back.
Wednesday, Eddie Hart is there, holding down for TV, holding down. He is headed to his oldest daughter's violin recital, so we hope that goes well. Hope to have a fun time watching Big Miss perform and do her thing. We ended the last segment. We were talking a little bit about Billy Gillespie since we kind of backtracked to last week because the news came out towards the end of last week's show. I didn't see it until the show was over with, so I had to at least backtrack and mention that because that's, you know, a big story as far as the second round of the sun. Billy Gillespie, Terry mentioned it with Louisville, with, you know, that kind of a road program right now. Pretty much every story out of Louisville is negative, scandalous, trifling, full of drama, stuff like that just continues to go on. You look on Twitter, you see Tom Jerry's trending, like, uh-oh, what are they done now? And that's probably kind of kind of the way they're perceived, not just as Kentucky fans, but nationally, because that's, that's all you get from them. That's all you see. No doubt, objective Louisville fans are kind of, you know, growing weary of this same old trouble, 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 black eye, black eye, black eye. And as I said, you know, I mentioned Billy Gillespie to kind of tie it in because negative images and negative connotations <clears throat> we know how this was with the Billy Gillespie, you know, 14-27, didn't get it done winning, and then you add in the other elements that are expected when you take over, seeing one parts of that, you know, being personable and embracing it and being the top dog in the state, you know, just wanting to coach and recruit, and you got to do more than that. you got to represent your university in media interviews, Last time went to the locker room, I mean, there was issues with, um, you know, Janine, um, they're doing the last thing right now. Just simple questions on the way to the locker room, she was biting her head off, things like that. Negative connotations. I said all that to say this. <clears throat> when you see the story, Billy Gillespie returns, everything you type in, either in the headline itself or in the opening sentences, has something to say about ex-Kentucky coach Billy Gillespie. Former UK coach Billy Gillespie, retiring you to help read. Billy Gillespie has done quite a few things before he became Kentucky coach, a few things after becoming Kentucky coach. I'm talking about, you know, basketball-related things that he has done. He was the coach of Texas Tech. And then after that, he was the coach at Texas A&M. But well, those things happened before he got to UK. He came to Lexington as the head coach at Texas A&M and beat Louisville in the tournament. This coming March will be the 10-year anniversary of Texas A&M knocking Louisville out in the tournament. You know, a 72-69 game. Tons of Louisville fans in Rupp Arena which was, you know, hard enough to swallow as it was. And everybody that has anything to do with Big Blue Nation was pulling to Texas A&M. You want to see Louisville get knocked out. Billy G and Texas A&M did just that. They knocked out Louisville. And that, like, that got him the job at Texas A&M. You know, maybe it's a little bit hasty in hindsight. Definitely safe to say that. That put him on the map 
launched him on to the UK job to begin with. You come to Louisville, you come to Lakers and, and beat Louisville in Rupp Arena in the tournament, you know, that, that did wonders for his career at that point in time. Didn't work out in his two years in Lakers, we all know that. He moves on, you know, Texas Tech, uh, there's Rangers College that he's at now. Um, took a couple years off where he didn't coach. I'm just saying, the things he did before UK, the things he did after UK, you see him retire, you know, all the other stuff, and former UK coach, Billy Gillespie. It's Kentucky with Billy Gillespie. So that, you know, that's how much weight Kentucky shares. The Texas A&M win over Louisville was the highlight of his coaching career from a win standpoint, from a pure joy standpoint. That was the highlight, you know. That was a successful piece, tournament success, but yet you still see him attached to UK, and he's been gone since 2009. So it's crazy how that works, crazy how things fit, kind of get tagged, kind of get labeled. To him, no matter what he does. So the same thing with Louisville, with all this negativity and, you know, uh, black eyes and things that they're continually involved in. Continually just, you know, trying to deny and not be accountable for all the things that they do and bring upon themselves or, you know, putting themselves in these positions. And so now they're going to get mad at the media for all the under media attention that will naturally happen when you admit that you cheated and took some information from an opponent. A, a weird situation. It was weird when you just saw that just a radio guy, Tony Ilrod, what is he doing? Did he just go give Google a claim? A And then, like Terry said, it's the tip of the iceberg. More and more stuff gets found out, more and more stuff. Gets discovered, and you know it, it continues to happen. And now we're going Wake Forest game for him to have the plays. They struggle at Wake Forest for the bulk of that game. You know they went on a big flurry in the fourth quarter to blow it open. He's like, uh oh, <laughs> trying to cover up the crime or what? But let's not like you know too much. Let's keep it close. Who knows? We're going to continue to find out more and more. And, you know, they just continue to be asked about it. They're going to continue to deny. Bobby Petrino's going to act like he didn't have a clue. That's what happened. There's my offensive coordinator. It was Lonnie. Lonnie and Tommy Elrod, they're the ones who did this. Lone, one lone dude to wait for him. One dude on my staff, Lonnie, he did it. I didn't know nothing. I'm Bobby Petrino. I'm the head coach. I, I didn't know nothing. So we will see. What will happen with this? It's just the latest. You know, Lonnie Galloway will now be like um, Andre McKee. I'm not saying it's that graphic and that's salacious and that's scandalous, but it's the same thing. He's going to get blamed if he's scapegoat, and, you know, we'll, we'll do whatever they have to do to send me out of any trouble in this instance as well. So stay tuned. We'll see what. It means that he happens to the card situation as well, but it's just unbelievable. Just a, a shocking story. You don't hear something like that often. You know, Tom Leach isn't going around 
giving out plays. You know, he's not about to go meet Paul Johnson somewhere in Jacksonville or Atlanta and give up the game plan of what Eddie Graham's going to try to do to attack the Georgia Tech going back to defense. It's not going to happen. Speaking of Georgia Tech, we're going to talk Georgia Tech in about an hour. Uh, we got Joey Weaver from the SC Nation site from the RumbleSeat.com covering Georgia Tech player bowls with Joey. Get a little insight on the Yellow Jackets uh, from the RumbleSeat.com. We're asking what the Rumble Seat means, what the origin of that is, how that's connected to Georgia Tech. Um, get him to tell us about the offense this season. We know that, you know, they love to run the ball, that triple option and stuff, but we get a little more details from the guy who we've seen the offensive games and been watching him a lot more closely than we have as UK fans. We'll take another quick break. Hope you're enjoying the show. Hope your Wednesday evening is going well. Appreciate you taking the time to listen. Uh, this is another episode of Cat Talk Wednesday. Benny Hardy here flying solo. He'll be back next week from the Young Center for UK U of L. You're listening on the Brandon Hardy Radio Network, blogtalkradio.com. We'll be right back in a few minutes. C'est bon, ce que tu sais.
in my food That's how you feel me too Yeah, I swear, I swear I do I'm so real with you You're my best friend in my food That's how you feel me too Yeah, I swear, I swear I do Um, there wasn't 
some of them, two uh, Louisville players there. That even put a damper on what should have been a wonderful weekend uh, for Louisville football. The March is very the Heisman. You know, March just finished right after Kentucky pulled out the win. You know, he said he stood with what he said. You know, um, we saw him put up numbers from the jump. You know, he hurdled that kid at Syracuse September, and he had it rolled. You know, they destroyed Florida State, and, you know, he, he had a lot of impact plays and a lot of big moments. Athleticism is just, you know, off the charts. Hard to tackle him. He's slippery. He's elusive. And he's got a big arm. You know, he's put up passing numbers as well. And you know, the youngest player ever win the Heisman Trophy. Won't be back next year. And you know, he'll be a marked man. Everybody be really trying to stop him this time around. But um, no doubt he'll be uh, looking forward to being up to the challenge. Looking forward to taking everybody's best shot as the Heisman Trophy winner. You can see, uh, I mean, the red and black suit, you know, he's a little guy. That's, you know, Carlos Colors, you can see that. He was getting black, but not having socks on. He's still dressed. I mean, the dude was clean. You know, red and black jacket, the black pants, black shoes. You know, I don't know. Would I socks somewhere in a suit? Would I have some dress socks? Yeah. But I'm, I'm not feeling him for that. Um, he's a good kid. You know, we saw Coach Cal tweet out a picture of Coach Lamar earlier in the week. Uh, Cal saying the same thing. He's a great kid. And by all accounts, he definitely is. And, you know, he definitely deserves the props. He had the season. That was Heisman worthy. He won the Heisman. That's the story. So you got to congratulate him. And, you know, everybody's just trying to, you know, get in super skeptical mode when it's not even warranted. It happens a lot. It happens more and more, especially on Twitter. It won't commit to things like that. So people were ripping him. Monday Night Football, Charles Woodson, you know, former Heisman winner uh, at Michigan, you know, back in 97, defensive player who won the Heisman. Uh, he played some receiver, played some offense, some special team stuff, but he's mainly defensive back. And, you know, Tennessee fans out here still get mad because he beat Peyton Manning. But Charles Wilson was there, and in the Come On Man segment of Monday Night Football, you can see how Charles Wilson kept focusing on the fact that Lamar wasn't wearing socks. Uh, they were free the camera, and you saw his eyes looking at Lamar's shoes. You know, the dude is clean, and so he's not wearing socks. And that was his thing. That was his deal. You know, it is what it is. I'm a Dallas Cowboys fan. Ezekiel Elliott rolled into the draft with a hat vest on, with midriffs and abs not everywhere. And that was what he chose to wear. But, you know, Lamar Jackson not wearing socks isn't that big of a deal. Um, so, you know, leave, leave the man alone. Let him enjoy his hobby. And let's everybody move on. It's time for the bowl game of the bowl season. Let's move on to that. Let's move on to college basketball, which we are definitely looking forward to as well. We have a big game Saturday. We touch South Carolina. It is a barometer game, measuring stick game. You know, Michigan State hasn't really been as good as they normally are 
So uh, it's going to be them in the next kind of, you know, rock, on the rock climbing wall with the L.A. Take a look at that game, 97-92. And now that was their only loss of the season. Kentucky was ranked number six. North Carolina was ranked number seven. Kentucky is nine and one. North Carolina is ten and one. And they head out to Las Vegas for a neutral site game Saturday and Saturday evening. Captain Cardio. North Carolina is averaging eighty eight point game, Kentucky ninety four point four. Rebounding edge slightly in favor of North Carolina, 45.5 to 43.7 for UK. Kentucky, 20 assists on the nose, 18.3 for North Carolina. Over in favor of UK, 7.6 to 3, even for Utah. It's still about even, 7.9 for Carolina, 7.4 for Kentucky. Both teams only lost to other blue blood programs. Kentucky has mentioned since UCLA at home. North Carolina lost at Indiana. Both of them with one loss, 545 Eastern time. So, um, you know, if you have to restart, you get the day started, and then settle in, 545 for the final game. Justin Jackson, 16 and a half points a game for the Hughes. Kenny Nix leads the team with rebounds, 9.3 rebounds a game. Joel Berry, you can probably be back, 4.7 assists. Per game, uh, from the guard position. In Vegas, people in the nation is rolling out there. Some of our fellow former male radio writers are rolling out there. Uh, Tim Cox is still down, about to hop a plane and fly out there. They're definitely going to have a good time. Uh, as well as all the other members of the Hebrew Nation that are going to be out there uh, in Vegas. We can bring some Texas Blue over that Tarja Blue. So I uh, hope everybody has a fun time. Looking forward to this game. Um, looks to probably be another track meet. So, Carolina always plays fast. Kentucky is better playing fast. Set got a rebound. Cal's going to have with rebounding, going to have with defense. And, you know, you still see the team kind of gelling. And not to admit it, you still see them kind of becoming what you think they're eventually going to be. Uh, still molding and shaping right now, uh, and that's always the case. Heading into camp now, leading up to the Louisville game, just in this situation, you have another tough opponent before you play Louisville, um, and you don't have that full week off to get ready for Louisville. You have Louisville North Carolina Saturday, Louisville Wednesday, and you know, it's more compared to like the NBA thing, but the contrasting style of North Carolina and Louisville are night and day as well. You know, playing Carolina and then Louisville in the NBA would be like playing, you know, Golden State Warriors and then, the, you know, the next night or the night after that, turn around and play on the ring for Grizzlies, a grounded out physical defensive type of thing. So that's what you're going to have to do. You have to play uh, a fast team and like to get out and run like they do in Carolina and then turn around and play Louisville, who is physical and wants to grind it out. I mean, with the defensive team who will uh, test Kentucky offensively, try to keep Kentucky in the half court. 
limit them in transition, make Kentucky earn it in half-court sets and executing uh, offense in a more precise manner. So scenarios is um, learning on the fly for this young team, in-game situations, under the light, in the fire, so to speak. So um, this schedule is going to get them ready for the tournament, the different types of things they'll face, different types of matchups they'll face. The SEC himself still is trying to get up the car. So uh, this, this uh, out-of-conference schedule is another sharpening tool that, that Cal can use uh, to get the cast ready uh, as the league tries to, to get up the snuff. And so, uh, you know, several teams in the SEC losing, you know, out-of-conference matchups. Uh, Alabama lost uh, – yeah, he lost a fork and Tennessee played North Carolina tough uh, Sunday after the Kentucky Hospital game. I didn't watch that, but I saw the score and was really surprised. Didn't know if, you know, to be proud if you're, if you're a Wallace fan or how concerned you should be if you're a Tigers fan for trailing most of the game at home, finally, you know, rallying to get by them 73 71. In Chapel Hill, Tennessee's first ever trip to Chapel Hill. Rick Barnes is from North Carolina, from Hickory, just right up the road there from from Chapel Hill. Tennessee has no big men, just a bunch of guards. They would love to have Rick Andy meet for Bam or, you know, Sasha Puya Jones, any dude with some size. They still don't have that. So if he goes to North Carolina, and take it to them for pretty much 35, 38 minutes is, you know, it's one game, but what do you take from that? You know, how will North Carolina respond? Were they looking ahead of Tennessee? How will you know, Tennessee respond? We'll soon see. So, looking forward to Saturday. Yes, you know, uh, it's always fun. It's always Good to see these two teams get together in the regular season, in the tournament, whatever the case may be. So, uh, can't wait for Saturday. You know, looks like, you know, Tennessee, I'm sorry, Kentucky's going to win. It's going to be hard, but um, I'm going to go with Kentucky winning this one. The Louisville game will be tough as well, but, you know, a high 80s kind of game, you know, up and down track meet out in Vegas, things like that. And, you know, let's just there's a lid on the rim for both teams. The home season game not be uh, a high-scoring game. We'll take another quick break. Got plenty more to talk about. Catch up Wednesday. Vinny Hardy, Brown Hardy Radio Network, BlockTalkRadio.com. We'll be right
don't care, I'm not leaving your side. You try to get by, but you can't. Get that party jumping, I'm going for nothing, I'm going to show you. And if the fires are coming, you know that I'm running, I'm never know. See everything that
trying to hear it, even though sometimes it's not as loud as we would like it to be. Um, about some Kentucky basketball last second as we look forward to UK versus UNC. Um, speaking of Coach Cal, the man launched of uh, his podcast yesterday. Uh, first ever guest was the Chuckster, Charles Barkley himself, uh, CalCast, as it was called, uh, on CoachCal.com. And he's going to be doing it every Tuesday. Uh, <laughs> Cal's hilarious. He talks about how, you know, they bring the idea to him, and he, he doesn't know what a podcast is and how it works. And uh, it's like so naive. As, as to what the deal is, you know, what do I have to do? How long is it going to be? Uh, it'll be 30 minutes, you know, what if it's 30 minutes of, you know, time I have with Mrs. Cal, Ellen Cal Perry, and, you know, figure out how it's going to work. Will there be money raised? Will there be sponsors? And they are. He wants it to go to his foundation. So he gets all of the eyes dotted and T's crossed. And, you know, he does his thing on podcast, and he's been doing podcasts forever. And as media savvy as he is, it's just hilarious that he, he acts like he didn't know what what the podcast was or, or the idea of it. When he's on everybody's shows, he's doing his thing, you know, Dan Patrick, you know, Bill um, O'Reilly, uh, Mike Prince, that's what, you know, he's on everybody's shows. Yeah, yeah, I know the deal. He knows how it works. But the podcast was great. The first episode was good. You know he's going to have big time guests each and every week. I'm giving Cal props on the music, too. You know, he has a little, just a little R&B, a little chill music, uh, doing commercials when he started to show off with. So giving him big time props for that. Of course, him and Charles Barkley, you know, topping it up and chatting. You know, that was going to be good stuff. Talking about Charles when he was at Auburn. Uh, and even though it was a loss for UK, he talked about when, you know, Chuck and Charles Murphy and Chuck and Chuck Person came to Rupp and, and they beat Bambury and Mel Turpin when UK was ranked number one. They talked about that. Talked about all of the cats that are in the NBA now. All the cow guys. So, uh, um, even talked a little bit about Bookie Cousins in the end, about, you know, Cal's like, hey, you guys got to get off of Bookie. got to leave him alone. And, you know, uh, Mark was like, we got to win more and least make the playoffs. So they, they hit a lot of different topics, and that's what Cal's going to do. It's not always going to be basketball. This person loves a lot of basketball. But Cal's doing his thing on the podcast, and every Tuesday it's going to be, uh, another one to look forward to, another one to check out, uh, another interesting aspect. He was also was glad that he was the first coach to do it. Am I the first one to do it? Yeah. Are, any, are there any other coaches doing it? No. Well, all right, sign me up. So, he's, you know, he's always on the cutting edge. We've seen that uh, many, many times. We see the, the combine. You can pass a couple of years where the NBA scouts come in and look at all the players and watch them do drills and work out. 
Now we see that others are copying this, and now next thing you know, other coaches are probably doing podcasts. But Cal's out there always thinking, always looking to the next thing, always turning over new leads, and it's cool to see. Um, and that's kind of what we what we're talking about. We started the show with, you know, Billy G. We had to backtrack. We weren't able to talk about. Um, we weren't able to talk about Billy G. last week. We had to talk about it this week, and that was some things that you know, every coach's personality is different. Every coach isn't super personable, and you know, some are just downright not nice at all, not not personable at all. Billy wasn't super personable. Couple that with not winning a whole lot. And that's, that's not a good recipe for success. Ricochino won a lot, but he wasn't as personal as an out there Cal is. You know, Cal embraces all of it. Forgets what it is to be the coach of the UK. You know, once you get the coach and recruit and win, you represent the state. The state loves you. The state knows more about you and what you're doing and what the governor is doing in Frankfurt, and that's been the case for a long time. When you see Cal's first guest on his podcast with Charles Barkley, they're kind of two peas in a pod like that. you got Charles Barkley who will, you know, mingle, interact with people, comfortable in his own skin. You know, people have met him at the Final Four. They come up and talk to him. Charles doesn't have security. Charles just goes out and talks to people hangs out with people and looks like, you know, the type of dude that, you know, you would love to hang out with. Cal is that same way. Like I said, Ricciatino wasn't the most personable. You got Miami Jordan, who's not super personable. Other celebrities who aren't that personable, who keep people at arm's length. And, you know, you have reasons when you're famous to be more, you know, weary. But, you know, Cal, Barkley, those are guys who, Hey, they socialize, they interact, um, and that's what, you know, Kentucky fans want and kind of crave from their coach to wear all the hats, to wear the marketing hat, wear the coaching hat, wear the winning hat, wear the fact that you rep the whole state hat. And Caltrans juggles all of that. He does all of that very well. And that's why you see him doing a podcast. That's why you see him on all these other shows. That's why you see him doing this and see him doing that. Um, so in, in a way, I don't know, is it, is it coincidental that Chuck would be his first guest? But it, and if not, it's cool that it was, that it worked out that way. Um, to realize what the scope of being the coach of the Kentucky basketball team really is, what it entails, what it involves. Um, so congrats to Cal for that Props to him for that We're into the second hour Like I mentioned we're about Half an hour away from Joey Weaver He will hop on Talk about the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets And we'll uh, forward to The Tax Player Bowl Still a few, few days away About two and a half weeks Before the game actually gets here But just want to go ahead and get Joey on now, get a little Georgia Tech talk in, because next week it's not going to be happening. You know, we, we have 
Lee Steinberg going to start the show, and then after that, we're going to be focusing all in on the cats and the cars. And the second hour of the show will be rolling while the game is on. So, and, you know, six o'clock is after the game or mute the TV and watch the game, listen to the show. It's definitely going to be a lot of fun. TV will be there at the Yum Center covering the game. And, of course, you know, once it comes and goes, all the focus can be on the annual matchup between Kentucky and Louisville. So, uh, Definitely can't wait for that to get here, too. So, two big-time games coming up in the next week. So, we're definitely looking forward to all of that. Football, Wayne Kiffin takes a job. He's a head coach again. He is no longer, well, after the playoff run for Alabama ends, semifinal or the final. Lane Kiffin will move on to Florida Atlantic University, uh, introduced at FAU today. The dude who always lands on his feet and has had a history of, you know, continuing to get good jobs, even though he doesn't really succeed at the the previous job. You know, the the Raiders job didn't work out for him there. He was still able to go to Tennessee. Left Tennessee, you know, after three years for his quote dream job, USC didn't work there. Ends up on the staff as uh, Nick Saban's offensive coordinator, and uh, he's been able to utilize the talent and put out some good offenses there, and kind of clean his image back up and get himself back on the radar, make himself desirable again be a head coach uh, at a college level. The Houston job was open because Texas dismissed Charlie Strong. Houston's Tom Herman took the job at Texas. Lane Kiffin Oh, for him. Turns out that that wasn't the case. Because according to the story on Sports Pickle, Lane Kiffin came into practice after his mind taking he had the Houston job locked up. And, you know, pretty much told everybody he was out. You know, see you losers later. I'm out of here. You know, uh, y'all some blanky blanks. I built this program. And then, you know, it all came back and bit him in the backside because he didn't have the Houston job. So now he was forced to have to apologize all of his remarks and kind of popping off at everybody in Alabama in order for him to continue to be a part of the team. So, you know, Nick Saban says that, you know, Lane had to clear up some issues, quote-unquote, and it's, it's been handled and removed. No, I'm not going to say anything about it. You know how excitement Saban is. But that's was what was reported from the sources who was there, and he heard him running off his mouth and get too big for his britches. Thinking he has a Houston job, thinking I'm out of Tuscaloosa and I'm, you know, about to be a coach again. Oh, I'm not now. I got to apologize. Got egg on his face. And so he did. And he's now a head coach again. But his Fort Atlantic is not as high a profile job as you would have thought that he was ready for initially. Probably nowhere near as high a profile job as he thought he was getting. I mean, he thought he was getting a Houston job in Houston. It's been on the map for a minute. 
Kentucky, Louisville, Houston beats us not out of Louisville and Lamar Jackson. You know, Houston, uh, Houston beat Oklahoma at the start of this season, the first game of the year. So, uh, yeah, he's feeling good about himself, thinking he's about to go take over that program. And then, you know, with that, you know, whatever happened between him and Houston, we didn't work that out. Houston decided, eh, you know, we, we'll, you know, move on and, and go a different direction. Whatever happened, you know, laying out all cocky. And, you know, it, it, it kind of shows that he hasn't really changed. He, he's, you know, okay, he's a coordinator for the national championship team, national championship contender in Alabama. But as soon as you get a job, you're going to pop off at Saban and all those guys like that. Is he really going to be any different as a head coach? Is he, has he changed? No, you don't think so. Um, is Houston maybe glad that they went a different direction? Maybe. But why, why do that? You know? Why Why just get all, you know, big free britches like that? And there's no reason for it. You know, be gracious. You know, enjoy your time. At Alabama, work for Nick Saban, even if he was screaming and berating you on the sideline, he does that. That's, you know, you knew that before you took the job. No need to just get all hinky like that. It doesn't make sense. And if I'm another school, say I'm a school bigger than Florida Atlantic, you know, and that's not a big deal, but it lets you know what you're getting. Whoever gets lame knows what they're getting. Uh, he's still a young coach, 41 years old as far as age-wise. He's, you know, been at it for a long time, but he's still at the same time as those reckless young dude, and that, that's still there. So do you want that? Because if you get Lane Kiffin, you're going to get that. But, you know, it is what it is. We'll see what he does at FAU. And, you know, if he can transition from there and, and parlay the FAU job into another bigger, more high-profile job, uh, who will it be, where will it go, knowing his history, his track record, you know, if he has a couple of good years there, he'll he'll move up and have another pretty decent high level job uh, once again two three years down the road. We shall see. But you know, we'll see what happens at Florida Atlantic. I mean, Isaiah Thomas coached there for a minute in basketball. It's just a, they've had some big names. We took a little school where they had you know a couple of big name coaches roll through there. Didn't work out that great for Isaiah Thomas either. But um, maybe maybe to be a little bit better for Lane Kiffin there for that way. I mentioned Charlie Strong leaving Texas, being dismissed from Texas. He is now at South Florida, which you know he's got Florida ties all over the place. He was a coordinator forever. Been in the SEC forever at South Carolina. We know Charlie's track record. So he he didn't stay unemployed long. Uh, Willie Tiger went from South Florida. Oregon, you know, former West Kentucky Hilltopper Willie Taggart. He is out there in Oregon, and Charlie is now in South Florida. And but for the geography buffs out there like myself, why isn't the University of South Florida in Miami? I never understood why it's in Tampa. 
Central Florida is in Orlando. That makes perfect sense. How can you be the University of South Florida and be in Tampa? You know, how can you not be in MIM? That will never make sense. But, you know, the way these colleges are anyway, geography doesn't matter. You know, West Virginia's in the Big 12. Um, you know, the SEC is breaks all the way out to, you know, Missouri and Texas. The geography doesn't matter anymore like it used to. So South Florida being in Tampa will never make sense to me. Uh, but hopefully Charlie Strong can get it going there. You know he can recruit. You know he's got the Florida ties. A lot of those dudes in Louisville that, that were so good under Charlie Strong, you know, Miami, from Florida, he had those relationships. He was able to recruit kids from Florida, bring him to Louisville. Now he's back in Florida. They know who he is there. You know, he built bridges and built relationships and, you know, built his reputation down there. So um, we'll see what Charlie does at South Florida. And speaking of Willie Taggart, who left South Florida for Oregon, he hired Jim Levitt as his defensive coordinator. Jim Levitt was at Colorado, which is in the Pac-12 with Oregon. Taggart steals him away from Colorado, who's just in the Pac-12 title game, and now Levitt goes to Oregon with Taggart. So they're trying to form a nice offensive defense, a two-headed monster out there on the West Coast. So uh, we'll see how that turns out for them as well. So lots of moving and shaking. It's that time of year. Uh, in between the bowl season, guys making moves, guys deciding where they're going to go. There'll be even more of that season and bowl games from the conclusion uh, and before filing day comes along in February. So we'll see what happens with everybody. Wish everybody the best. Um, another negative note, bad news, which is kind of recurring bad news with his former cat. Sean Wood, who uh, is now the defending coach at Moorhead State, of course, remember that 92 team um, that gave Duke all they wanted. Sean Wood did the bank shot, he did the lightning shot that gave Kentucky uh, the lead briefly there in the waning second against Duke. Sean Wood charged twice uh, by a couple of players uh, for assault. For, from when they played a game out in Evansville uh, against the University of Evansville in Evansville, Indiana. Of course, players filed charges, and unfortunately, this, this isn't the first time this has happened. It's, it's not like, oh, my goodness, what in the world happened with Sean Woods? We saw it all a few years ago when Morehead State played at Ruff Arena when one of his players fouled out and he just kept chewing on him, 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 uh, in court for him, uh, getting physical, hitting players, hitting players in practice, has kind of been continuing. Uh, it's becoming a trend. You hate to see that. Uh, Morehead State is wrapping up their investigation into this now, but it doesn't look good. He's been on suspension. For a while, uh, now you've seen that charges have been filed by players. And, you know, even Cal on his podcast talked about running in with coaches 
uh, with, with Charles Barkley and Sonny Smith when he was at Auburn, that you, you can't be that way anymore. You know, funny players, you can't be hidden players. When we saw Bobby Knight do that with Neil Reed and all the stuff he used to do, it, it just it shouldn't have to be that way anyway. But back in the day, it was. But you know, nowadays, it is not. And it has kind of continued with Sean Woods. And you hate to see that. Uh, he's suspended. And it just doesn't look good and it hasn't been good. And now more and more things are coming to the surface. Players are coming out and, and you know, airing things that have happened. So you definitely hate to see and hear this news for former cat um, Woods. In the thing with death, 15 minutes from now, we'll have Joey Weaver on, talk about Georgia Tech, Ramblin' Rick, Tech Player Bowl, Jacksonville, Florida, New Year's Eve, Cats and Jackets, getting it on um, two and a half weeks from now. Right, this is Cat Talk Wednesday, Vinny Hardy, Brandon Hardy Radio Network, blogtalkradio.com. Stay right with us. We'll be right back. My heartbeat takes me away 
Welcome back to the show. Let's talk Wednesday. Eddie Hardy here, 845-277-9373 is the number. Catch Talk Wednesday on Facebook and Twitter. We are rolling right along. Joy Weaver is on the way. So we'll look forward to that. We'll talk some Pack Slayer Bowl. Talked a little bit of it uh, last week and once they announced it. Uh, and of course, all the speculation as to what the bowl game would be after the Thanksgiving Louisville. And now we know, and now we just continue to anticipate. Uh, and before you know it, of course, it will be that time. So uh, looking forward to it. And that would have been a New Year's Day game had New Year's Day not been on Sunday. And of course, all the NFL games been on Sunday. So uh, had the calendar, you know, played out differently. We've been watching the Cats play on New Year's Day, and that in itself, you know, growing up, the, the New Year's Day games, that's where it was at. That's where all the prestige was, so all the parades, and then, you know, those New Year's Day games kick off the Rose Bowl and this and that. And if you flash back to 98, you know, Tim Couch is, you know, still in U- at U.K., the quarterback putting up big numbers. How Mummy's the coach, uh, fellow Harlan County and come on wrestling. George Massey is on the team. Kentucky played on New Year's Day in 1999, the Outback Bowl against Penn State. New Year's Day, and for you know Kentucky fans, myself, I'd never seen that. I'm like, oh, Kentucky is playing on New Year's Day. That was a sight to behold. You know, you grew up watching all these other teams play. And then there Kentucky is playing on New Year's Day. And then they actually went up on Penn State, 14 to 3. Uh, they ended up, you know, ultimately ended up falling short, losing 26 to 14. But to see them on New Year's Day, didn't get off to a good spot. That was, I mean, that was about as good as it got. You know, you would have loved to see them hang on and win that game. But uh, still just exciting seeing them play on New Year's Day because it, it never happened. And we've seen. Championships in basketball in that time period, you know, as your teenage and adult, you know, 96 to 98, just short against Arizona in 97. And here we are in 99, and the Cats are playing a New Year's Day bowl game. So it's just a, a nice run of events that happened back then. And that was that was one of those clusters of years where Kentucky was going to bowl games. There in the 90s, started again there in the, the mid-2000s. Uh, the New York City Bowl, the Liberty Bowl, the Seagull patches of bowl games. And that's what Mark Stoops is trying to make a normal occurrence. Uh, he's got six wins this year. That was the goal. Secured that. They're beating Austin Peace. Went out and bettered their bowl position with the win over Louisville. Got seven wins. And they got to play Florida Bowl games. No, no music City this time around. No Birmingham, no Memphis, no Liberty Bowl playing down in Florida on almost a New Year's Day Bowl, you know, due to going to Louisville and winning. So that, you know, just upped the stock, improved their stock, their positioning with the bowl committee. So, um, And now we're already seeing that pay off with the recruiting. Now, I'm not a huge recruiting guy, you know what I mean? As far as I've said that many times on the show, Terry and I, 
of neither one of us just dive into recruiting and trying to keep up with where 17, 18-year-olds are going to decide to go to college. Once they commit and decide to come to Kentucky, then okay, all right, well, now that you're coming now, we'll find out more about you and watch you when you start to play or get the breakdown on you from Freddie Maggard when he gives all the details and all the information because he knows every player inside and out. Then that's when I'll pay attention. But Kentucky beating Louisville, going to Florida, playing this bowl game, just already starting to pay dividends in recruiting. A couple of big-time commitments have already decided to uh, come to UK. Uh, four-star defensive end Josh Paschal, Paschal, uh, mispronounced the name, and a JUCO safety one. Uh,
sad note when it comes to celebrities in 2016. That would be the passing yesterday of Alan Stitt. You know, from my age, you know, late 30s, you know, grew up in the 80s and 90s. Everybody remembers him from the Growing Pains sitcom. He was the dad on Growing Pains. I wasn't like a religious follower, didn't, didn't follow the show religiously. Certainly you knew who he was. You knew the show. You knew Kirk Cameron. You knew he was on there. And you, mean, you just knew who Alan Dick was. One of those TV dads that you know, and every generation has those TV dads that you know. You go all the way back. Leave the Beaver. You know, you can go back to to uh, War. You know, you know War Cleaver. You know, you got. <laughs> unfortunately, for you know, what you think now, but Bill Cosby back then, everybody knew what happened and was going on. Uh, Alan Six did on growing pains. It's on sad news. He passed away at age 69 of a heart attack playing hockey with his son. A huge hockey fan as well. His youngest kids know him as Robin Six. That happens when you start on psychosis and violence. Kids are. Robin Six on being dangerous. Super family guy. A lot of good songs out. But Robin is on the Alan Sons. And just, you hate to see that, you know, Muhammad Ali, um, David Bowie, um, um, and Maurice White from Earth, Wind, and Fire, and Ali Cole. Just a rough year for celebrities in 2016. And here about the passing of Alan Dick. He also composed the theme music. Four different strokes. I never knew that. Uh, another show right there from that era, you know, early mid 80s. Gary Cohen, Todd Bridges, let's talk about Willis. Alan did perform the theme music for different strokes. If you don't know it, go ahead and Google it. I'm not about to sing. Um, first, you know, even more than I'm already doing just by talking. But just a super talented guy and a great guy, uh, Alan Pitt. So sad news on that front as well. Um, we um, look forward to as well talking about NFL as we wait for Joy Weaver to call in. Boys, Muscat finally suffered a loss. And once again, it was at the hands of the New York Giants in New York at MetLife Stadium, 10-7. They come up short. Um, had a 7-0 lead, a 7-3 lead for a long time. A long time for the Giants even got that first field goal. They even scratched the scoreboard with any goal. A really, really uh, defensive struggle. On both sides, the defensive game, uh, both defenses dominated and dictated to the offenses what they were and weren't going to do. But my Cowboys did uh, drop and fossil 11 and 2, and we'll talk about the attention manufactured quarterback controversy uh, a little bit later in the show. Right now, we're joined by our guest. He covers the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets. 
for the website FromTheRumbleSeat.com. He is Mr. Joey Weaver, the site co-manager for From the Rumble Seat. Joey, welcome to Cat Talk Wednesday. Appreciate you on the show. How you doing, Evie? Hey, I'm doing well, man. How are you doing? Thanks for playing. Thanks for playing, man. Appreciate you taking the time out of your Wednesday evening to hop on the show and talk a little tax player over with us. I'm sorry, what was that? I appreciate you uh, taking the time out of your Wednesday evening to talk a little bit about the tax player bowl with us and, and give us some knowledge about those yellow jackets. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's looking like a fun matchup. I was really uh, intrigued when it was announced. I, I think these are two very interesting teams, so looking forward to talking a little more with you about it here. Yeah, and, you know, the – First of all, let me let me just ask you about the origin of the site. You know the, the the meaning of the origin of the site name from the Rumble Seat uh, for SB Nation, the family of websites there. What is the meaning behind from the Rumble Seat and how it kind of applies to Georgia Tech? Of course. So um, many folks will know that uh, one of Georgia Tech's two official mascots many people know buzz the actual yellow jacket the you know guy in the costume that runs around the other official mascot and really the original official mascot is the ramblin wreck which is a car a 1930 uh ford model a sport coupe uh hope i didn't get that wrong but uh it's an older an older uh car model basically and um the site was started by two former drivers of the Ramblin' Wreck. So uh, there's a club within the school that maintains the car, and uh, every year they elect a driver for the car, and they're the only one that can drive it around campus or drive it in for games as the team runs out the out of the tunnel behind it, et cetera. Uh, and so the, the, the site was started on SB Nation by two of the former wreck drivers. Um, I was not one of them. Uh, but so uh, what the rumble seat would refer to is the seat kind of in the back of the car. Sometimes you'll see uh, some of those older cars, there's like a, a seat kind of in the back that's more open air. doesn't really have the cab uh, kind of protecting it from elements and such, um, especially coming out of like weddings and stuff. People will kind of sit back there and kind of wave to the crowd, whatever. Um, so the, that's the rumble seat. And so, uh, the title from the rumble seat is kind of an homage to the fact that it was started by a couple of former drivers of the Ramblin' wreck. That is pretty cool. I I knew the, you know, Ramblin' wreck. You always, I mean, I, I think, I would think even a lot of casual fans know, know that or familiar with that term, you know, Ramblin' wreck in Georgia Tech, but I did not know all of the full details about the rumble seat and all that. So that that is really cool. Yeah, Georgia Tech is a a very tradition heavy school. Um, the the Ramblin' Wreck in particular has been around since like 1960. Um, there's all sorts of goofy, weird traditions from you know a century even you know farther back than that. So um, yeah, just one of the one of the several that we were able to kind of carry through to present day. Oh, that's all right. That's interesting. Now, for this season, the Old Jackets went eight and four. Um, started the season with a seventeen fourteen win over Boston College. They'll jump right into a- ACC play. Uh, 
what were the expectations going into this season, you know, from a win loss perspective? What was it a was it a rebuilding year? Did they do what people thought? Did they exceed expectations? Did they underachieve? What what type of season was it, kind of as you look back and reflect on it for Georgia Tech? Yeah, so it was pretty tough to project if we're being honest. Um they were coming off a three and nine season in twenty fifteen that came on the heels of an eleven and three Orange Bowl season in twenty fourteen. So two very, very different years kind of preceding it. Uh, I think a lot of people really expected the team to bounce back. Um they they had a lot of injuries in twenty fifteen, uh, a lot of youth on the team in twenty fifteen, so figure some of those guys get healthy, some of them get a little older. The team set up better for 2016 um i think a lot of people were typically projecting them anywhere between six and eight wins um eight kind of being the ceiling there i know the vegas win total coming into the year was like six and a half um so they they performed basically two expectations you know maybe the top end of expectations uh as you mentioned that that close boston college game to start the year that was actually in dublin ireland um I, I was there for that game. That was a really cool experience, um, a really weird game, and, and just several elements at play that I told people don't really take any conclusions from this game. Um, I have to think that if it were played, you know, stateside, either at home or even in Boston, it might have turned out differently uh, in any number of ways. So that was a, a weird one. Started out 3-0. Uh, then they lost three in a row to Clemson, Miami, and Pittsburgh. Um, the – the Pittsburgh game in particular was the one that hurt, that felt like they, they really could have won that game. Um, had, had just one or two different thing, you know, things gone differently. So that was rough. Um, but really, they, they finished 5-1 and one down the stretch uh, with a huge win on the road at Virginia Tech, another huge win on the road at Georgia. Um, I think the big difference in the team coming down the stretch was the defense started to play better. Um, they – they really had a lot of major defensive issues where they were trying to play earlier in the year. They were trying to play a bend but don't break kind of system, but it was it was so overly conservative that it was really just more of a sieve. I mean, they just were just letting guys through eventually. Um, they, they've done a really nice job of preventing big plays, but it wasn't until late in the year where they were able to start actually creating some turnovers, you know, getting a little bit, bit of pressure to the quarterback, uh, some things like that. And so, um, it was a, it was a strong finish. I was, I was surprised that they were able to make it to eight wins. Um, at the midway point, I, I was starting to get a little nervous, maybe about some ball eligibility stuff after they had dropped the Pittsburgh game the way that they did. And so, um, generally a pretty strong, uh, finish at eight and four. I, I think that a lot of folks are pretty happy with it, especially considering they got a couple of rival wins in there. Um, but, yeah, so I would say they, they met expectations kind of on the high end. Uh, it wasn't like they totally outperformed themselves, but um, this was a, a pretty strong season for Georgia Tech, all things told. Talking with Joey Weaver uh, from the RumbleSeat.com. Covers Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets for that website there for SB Nation. So, in a nutshell, you take, 2015 and 2014, and, and kind of average them out, they they kind of hit the average, basically. You say 11 wins, 3 wins, and they end up with 8 this year. 
Yeah, and that's kind of been the the tale of the Paul Johnson era a little bit. Is um, really 2015 was the only real bottom out year um, that broke a, a bull streak of like I think it was 20 some years uh, in a row that Georgia Tech had been to a bowl game, and so even through the Paul Johnson era, you know, at worst you're talking about a six and six season. Um, but yeah, just a combination of things. They got down to three and nine, but other than that, I mean, they've largely been in the six to eight win realm with a couple of years where they jump up and win 10 or 11. So it's not, you know, totally unprecedented kind of what happened in 2014. Um, it's totally easy in retrospect to see how things happened the way they did in 2015. But ultimately I think that this season is kind of more in line with the average, so to speak, um, as, as much as that kind of might drive some of the fan base crazy. Right, right. Now they also, uh, since the end of the season, have uh, have had a couple of departures that running back and defensive end. Tell us about who has left, the impact that it may or may not have, and who is going to step up. Uh, and, and fill those spots going into the bowl game. Yeah, so I'll try to remember all of these off the top of my head. There have been a few. Um, the big one that, that hurts, as you mentioned, at uh, running back or at B-back at Georgia Tech is Marcus Marshall. Uh, he was a, a true sophomore who this was his second year in a row leading the team in rushing yards. Uh, so you can obviously imagine how that was a, a painful loss. They've got another player there at running back who was actually – the starter, Marcus Marshall, was not until late in the year, but true freshman Dedrick Mills is still there. There's a little bit of concern maybe about his long-term outlook, but for now uh, he's a pretty reliable option as the starting B-back. Uh, and then from there, the other major departures, so you had a, a corner named Dorian Walker who is going to transfer out, uh, a linebacker named Emmanuel Bridges who's going to transfer out, and a wide receiver named Christian Philpot who's going to transfer out. And all three of those guys – I think the biggest contributor was, was Dorian Walker who kind of played on special teams and he was like the second corner off the bench and such. I mean, Bridges was redshirting at linebacker and Phil Pot, I think had one catch in one game. And I mean, he was a redshirt freshman. He was, he was being beat out on the depth chart by probably close to half a dozen players. So, and you imagine, and that's in a Georgia tech offense that they don't use more than, three or four wide receivers per game. So I think those guys are just seeing, you know, they're not really contributors right now. Uh, they were playing positions where there was a lot of talent kind of around them and in, in their age group and figuring maybe I won't see the field a whole lot uh, if I stay here. And so I, I don't think it's the worst thing in the, in the near future for any of those positions, except for the B-back position uh, that that loss of Marcus Marshall will be felt and uh, it's going to be a, a tough guy to replace here. Uh, in this bowl game and then in, in the coming years. Oh, with Joey Weaver from the RumbleSeat.com. Looking back at the season, uh, you, know, you highlighted the wins and losses. Is the win at Georgia Tech, you know, who went on to play in the ACC title game against Clemson, is that the the one that kind of galvanized them and, and propelled them on to that 8-4 finish, or is it a different one that maybe stands out in your mind? No, I think that's definitely the team's signature win. And, I mean, i got to tell you, man, that was about as bizarre of a game as I've ever seen. Um, 
Georgia Tech was a two-touchdown underdog, and I, I was, you know, about ready to unload my savings on Virginia Tech to cover that. Um, Georgia Tech was going into Blacksburg. They did not have their starting quarterback. Justin Thomas did not play in the game. Their starting B-back, Diedrich Mills, was out. He did not play in the game. Uh, and so they went in with a backup quarterback and a backup B-back. That ended up being Marshall. Uh, and they played against a team in the Hokies that have always given them trouble on offense. You know, the Hokies defense has always been very good. And a team that, had, you know, looked really good on offense and obviously was on their way to a Coastal Division championship. And I just saw no way that Georgia Tech was even going to keep it close, given all of that. And they went out and they won by 10 points, and it probably wasn't even that close. Um, so that was like just a super bizarre, strange game with how it kind of turned out. But ultimately, I do think that that was the one that gave them a lot of confidence, especially going into Georgia two weeks later, saying, well, we've been in probably a more hostile road environment. We've played a better team. We've beat them with less weapons on the table. We can probably do this too. Um, and so I, I do think that the the Virginia Tech game was probably the one that kind of launched this this really good finish to the season. Because uh, up until then, there was still, again, in my mind, a lot of concern over making sure these guys make a bowl game and don't stumble too hard at the end. I've been to a couple games up there in in Blacksburg, and you know they bring it consistently. You know, year in and year out, no matter you know how good or bad the team is, those fans up there make that a, a very intimidating place to come in and play a game. So to go in there, like you said, and take it to them, minus your starting quarterback, and win by ten, and then be more convincing than the score indicates is, is definitely you're definitely doing something. I, I mean, I was obviously thrilled at what I was watching, but I think maybe even more than how happy I was, I was just confused. Like it was, it was so beyond what I was expecting out of that game that it was almost like I had no idea kind of what to make of it. It was crazy, but a, a, a huge win for sure. And really a, a really fine coaching job. I thought from Georgia tech in that game. And this, uh, this bowl game, the tax player bowl coming up in Jacksonville on the 31st will be, you know, Georgia's third game against an SEC opponent this year. And, you know, being in the SEC like we are, you know, covering Kentucky and, you know, keeping track of what's going on around the conference, the the 38 points that you hung on Vanderbilt kind of jumps out to me because, of, you know, Vanderbilt has always had a good defensive team, even when they've had nothing else. And then, of course, to come from behind win. At Georgia um, is always noteworthy when you end the season beating your rival. But how did they attack Vanderbilt? Because, you know, Zach Cunningham in the SEC, you know, gets a lot of praise, and it's deservedly so at the linebacker spot. They've done pretty much all year defensively, you know, as solid as they've been. Uh, Kentucky beat them, but it was a ragged, hard-fought game. Uh, what was it that worked so well in the win over Vanderbilt offensively for the Yellow Jackets? I think that game started to snowball and spiral out of control for Vanderbilt a little bit there. Um, it, as you mentioned, it was a really lopsided 38-7 to kind of game. Um, I, I think that maybe 
things started to roll and the Vanderbilt defense just got frustrated and maybe quit a little bit. I think that's part of it. But I think one of the other things that really was on display there was Georgia Tech's big play potential, which a lot of people are going to think about the offense as it's this, you know, triple option scheme. It's a lot of three yard in the cloud of dust kind of stuff. But at the same time, one or two missed assignments can turn a, a three yard play into a 30 or a 50 or, you know, a 70 yard play especially in the passing game. And so I think that the passing game in particular is where they really burned Vanderbilt on a couple of occasions. Uh, I can't, that game has been three months ago. So I'm trying to remember all the specifics, but I I do remember there being a couple of really big plays that they burned that defense on where eventually, you know, a defense can kind of get lulled to sleep by this constant triple option action. And then all of a sudden, the quarterback fakes a handoff and, and pulls it back and fires over everybody's head to this guy that has slipped behind the whole defense. So I think that's kind of the key that they used. Um, they've, they'll also try to alter some blocking assignments to try to neutralize particularly good guys. As you mentioned, Zach Cunningham, um, they, they can kind of change up who's blocking who to make sure that plays are not getting blown up by the same guy over and over that works sometimes better than others, depending on the overall talent level of the opposing defense. But I think the big thing to watch for again is the big plays. And that can either be created by missed assignments on, on run plays, usually to the perimeter, uh, sometimes even up the middle. But the other big thing is in the passing game. Um, Justin Thomas has done a really nice job throwing the ball this year. And people are going to look at his stats and say, Oh, he's, you know, 55% completion, whatever. But I think on a per-completion basis, they're averaging somewhere between 15 and 20 yards a play. So whenever they are completing passes, they are, they're getting them in big chunks, and, and a lot of those are finding their ways to the end zone or certainly flipping the field and, and creating a big difference in games. Talking with Joey Weaver from the RumbleSeat.com, uh, giving some knowledge about the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets and taking the opponent in the Tax Flair Bowl. December 31st down in Jacksonville. Um, Joey, is Paul Johnson, how is he perceived by the fan base? Is he, is he beloved? What kind of what type of guy is he? Do, do the fans love him? Do they just, yo, know, he's a coach, whatever? Or what is kind of his, his – how does he come across you know, to the fans? I know he's been there for a while, but, you know, how do they view him? Uh, I think the best word I could use is polarizing. Um, it's it's become man, it's become exceptionally clear over the last couple of weeks, or not not couple of weeks, couple of years, that if if the you know I guess the less the team is winning, the more fractured the fan base can really get over whether they should keep him or drop him. Uh, a lot of folks will point to how he compares to coaches at Georgia Tech historically, where um, historically, you know, have been a decent team. They've got four national titles, but only one of them in the last, you know, 50 years. So pointing out that it's not easy to have this high level of success consistently, whereas some people say, oh, you're in Atlanta, you know, you should be able to recruit better. You know, there's, I could go on and on and on about that for a while, but point being is there's there's some people that are squarely in Johnson's corner there are some people that are squarely you know just not ever going to really support him and there's some people that kind of are in the middle and kind of get drawn either way but I I feel like it's 
more so than other fan bases and probably less deserved than other fan bases that there are some people that whether it's the offense or whether it's the consistency of the results for lack of a better term I think there is some some polarization that goes on there and there are some very staunch haters and some very staunch supporters uh, within the fan base so it's not really easy to say it's it's one or the other. It kind of depends on the type of year they're having, honestly. Okay. Um, and with that being said, from a from a recruiting standpoint, with with the offense that Georgia Tech runs, you mentioned that they still you know have some success passing. You know, even though they they run for over three hundred three thousand yards this year, passing like roughly fifteen hundred some yards. How does Paul Johnson, what's his recruiting pitch to quarterbacks and receivers? You know, in this day and age when everybody wants to throw it around the yard, spread offenses, you know, a lot of points, fast pace, tempo this, no huddle that. What is, how does he recruit quarterbacks and receivers you know, to get guys to play in this offense? This is going to sound a little funny, but I almost think it's harder for him to recruit quarterbacks more so than receivers. And I'll tell you why. The, the quarterback, I think that the pitch is, you know, you're a, a mobile quarterback. Let's play to your strengths and make sure that you stay as the quarterback on the team and stay as the leader and such. But, again, we're going to capitalize on your ability to run and maybe work with you on your ability to pass. And, and there has to ultimately be this uh, long-term understanding that a quarterback out of this offense is probably not going to translate to the NFL especially not as a quarterback. You know, if you're going to make it, it's going to be with a position change involved. The receiver, I actually would have to think that they have a decently, you know, a decent time uh, recruiting receivers. And the reason is that because of how much they run, A, you learn to block, which becomes a very valuable trait of a wide receiver in the NFL. But B, when you do pass, you're in a lot of single coverage. And, there's a lot of opportunities repeatedly for the same players. Um, there's a lot of big play opportunity. I think there's a lot of, you know, trying to get big bodies so that guys can outmuscle uh, cornerbacks when, when they're not in double coverage. Uh, if you look at guys like Demarius Thomas, he was, uh, he, you know, he's been a huge player for the Broncos for several years. He actually got his start at Georgia tech under Paul Johnson's offense doing that same thing, you know, using his size and, and, out-muscling corners in one-on-one coverage. Um, Darren Waller is a, a wide receiver at Georgia Tech. He's kind of playing tight end for the Ravens right now. He actually had a touchdown, I think, on Monday night against the Patriots. Uh, same thing, you know, 6'6", 245, big guy that a corner doesn't want to cover. And so I think that sales pitch to a wide receiver is actually, I mean, they it translates really well to what they're going to do in the league as far as run blocking and uh, winning one-on-one battles. And so the, the quarterback position is really a little more of a challenge. Uh, and that's where they've been really blessed to have Justin Thomas, who was one of the best recruits in, in recent history at Georgia Tech, uh, running the show over the last three years. That is interesting. Before I let you go, you mentioned that you were in Dublin for the season opener. So I, I got to ask you uh, your thoughts on that. You know, had you been before, yay or nay, what did you think when you got there? And are you, you know, dying to go back again if the opportunity presents itself? Yeah, so that was actually my first trip overseas. Uh, I'd, 
I've been to, you know, Mexico and the Caribbean and such, but I'd never been to Europe, never been to Asia, anything like that. And so that was my first experience in Europe or anything like that. And, and it was awesome. It was really cool. Um, the people that put on the game itself in Dublin did a great job. We had a great time. Um, I was actually there on my honeymoon. And so we, uh, we stayed for another week and kind of traveled the rest of Ireland as well. And um, I, I, I told people coming back, you know, if, if you're looking to go on a European vacation and you don't know specifically where you want to go, Ireland is a, is a great place because all the people there are very uh, concerned, you know, about your happiness as an American tourist. It was, it was really cool. We saw some really cool things. Um, it's a, it's absolutely beautiful over there. Um, a really, really neat experience. Cannot, cannot recommend it enough. Um, maybe the biggest thing that I, I, wish I had done differently going back is, uh, as I said, you know, we kind of moved around to a few different places that, that week after would have really rather kind of to hunker down in, in two or three cities instead of bouncing around, you know, kind of give even a better feel for some of the places we were staying. So, uh, anyone out there, you know, trying to, uh, trying to go on a European vacation or something like that, uh, highly, highly recommended, really cool place. Wow. Congrats to you and the missus also uh, for spending the honeymoon over there as well. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I got married in July, so uh, first Christmas coming up. We'll see how that goes. <laughs> yeah, y'all are brand new, newlyweds. Y'all will be just fine. So did uh, Mrs. Weaver like the city as well? You both, I guess, like the city uh of Dublin itself, you know, the vibe and the feel of the city once you got there and got, you know, acclimated? Yeah, it was fantastic. Um, we were there for a total of 11 days. Uh, I think four or five of them was in Dublin. And uh, so we got to see the, the Guinness Brewery and did some tours of different pub crawls and stuff like this. And uh, she she definitely was not ready to come home. She, she would have uh, loved to stay there for another week or two. So uh, we had a great time for sure. Wow, sounds good, and you just have to file that away in the mental, in the mental files for you know future anniversary gifts. That'll that'll be a, a good one for you. I, I don't think you could possibly go wrong there. <laughs> <laughs> there you go, man. You, you got to plan these anniversaries out. I'm, I'm 15 years in, so you kind of, you know, just listen and, and file away what works, and then that way, you know, your anniversary gifts little. And you'll be fine, man. Absolutely, that'd be a good uh, a good throwback to do for sure. Yeah, absolutely, man, Joey. I appreciate you hopping on and, and giving some knowledge about uh, Georgia Tech, Paul Johnson, Dublin. Uh, looking forward to the Tax Slayer Bowl in about two and a half weeks, Cats and Jackets, man. Thanks again for taking the time to come on the show. Absolutely, anytime. Enjoyed it, and uh, appreciate you having me on. Best of luck in the game. All right. Hey, definitely. Appreciate it, Joey. Hey, talk to you later. All right. That's Joey Weaver from the RumbleSeat.com. Covers the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets. We found out what the Rumble Seat meant, the origin, the Ramblin' Rick. Got some history. Uh, got some perspective on the season that the Yellow Jackets have had as well. So um, that brings us right up to about the end of the show in the final minute here. Uh, appreciate everybody taking the time to listen. Appreciate TV calling in. Big Mrs. Recital is going well. Appreciate the tweets from Wild Town Bravo. 
uh, Will Smith Tara. I appreciate Joy Weaver jumping on and sharing knowledge about the Yellow Jackets. Uh, real quick about my Cowboys, the QB controversy is just manufactured. Leave Dak alone, he'll be fine. One bad game, they're 11 and 2, so we'll bounce back against the Buccaneers this coming Sunday night. Looking forward to Cats and Hill Saturday evening. Gonna be a fun game. All the BBN out there in Vegas, y'all have fun. If you're on the way, have fun. If you're already there, have fun. Looking forward to the game this coming Saturday evening. Uh, catch the show on the podcast. It'll be up blogtalkradio.com slash cats talk. And remember, Lee Steinberg next Wednesday at 6 o'clock. Um, for my man, Terry T.B. Brown, he'll be with us next week for the Young Center. For TV, this is Vinny Hardy. Um, wrapping it up for Cats Talk Wednesday this week. We'll see you next Wednesday, 6 o'clock, for another fun show. Hope everybody had a good time, and we'll see y'all next week. Thanks again for listening. Good night, everybody.